welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Gavin Brown from Roxley Games, the publisher of some truly epic titles such as Brass, Radlands, Santorini, Dice Throne, amongst many more. Their newest title, Skyrise, is currently on Kickstarter. Gavin, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Uh, now, clearly, you've got a, uh, a pretty robust portfolio of some pretty successful games, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, you've been doing this for 15 years. How did this all start? Like, wh- What were you doing before you got into publishing games? Well, I would say the 15 years is uh, is probably you know, when I started actually designing games, um, but Roxley started as a publisher and I think our first game was 2014, but it had kind of worked up towards that. Um, when I was designing games, I started invoicing as the company name Roxley and, and, uh, then eventually I decided to start publishing games as well, but I used to do, you know, board game art, um, under the Roxley name as well. So so you started off as like a board game artist and then transitioned to kind of game design and game publishing from there? Or? Yeah, well, game design is, I actually wanted to be a, I've wanted to be a game designer since probably my mid twenties. Um, yeah. And first it started out as me wanting to be a video game designer. Cause I come from the video game world as many people in this industry do. Um, yeah. I was a pro, you know, I am a programmer, was a programmer. Mm. Don't do that anymore. Um, but I really, you know, have loved video games, been obsessed with video games all my life. Um, I eventually, like, I guess around the time I was sort of wanting to, like, I was designing, like, design documents, creating design documents for video games and, like, investigating, like, technologies that maybe I could, you know, make some, an indie game myself. This was, like, right on the, right before the cusp of, like, when, I guess, things like, uh, you know xbox live arcade or whatever yeah it started becoming popularized like pre-super meat boy sort of era okay so there was not really like tools that i could do it alone and i swiftly sort of realized the amount of work to produce one game was like just insane one video game like it's kind of like a pipe dream or it was right right? yeah yeah and even now like if you want to make a good indie video game it's a huge huge commitment uh per title right and so i i I decided i actually you know i i actually you know i was still going down that road and i i went over to um my wife's cousin's house and and uh my wife's cousin's husband said hey you want to play a game and he was holding a carcassonne with this like weird looking knight on the front and it's like strange sort of 2d uh, illustration, um, those kind of like, you know, it was very, I don't know, gr- uh, gritty, I guess, like not very, like it was, it just looked very like, I don't know, the illustration was very gritty, I guess, for, for the yeah. original Carcassonne. Um, and, but I loved it. Um, so I, so I tried, I was like, I was, first thing I asked him was, is it good? And he said, <laughs> no, it's not good. That's why we play it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, cause I'd come like my assumptions were like how many people come into this hobby was like, yeah. 
you know, and less and less so when, now that it's becoming more and more mainstream. But back then in like 2005, 2006, my assumption, like many others, is that board games are shitty. Like they're pretty yeah. bad, you know, like because there were the, the only board games that most people knew about were were ones that you get from like a department store, you know, like. Yeah you know monopoly like that's what i think and and there there were some party games growing up that i love like balderdash and you know trivial pursuit and pictionary which started all kinds of family fights but those were good social times and i'm attracted to social social gaming so yeah I, you know i was like yeah let's play it and after that game i just kind of sat there staring at the board you know just absolutely mind blown that that it introduced me to systems that I'd never experienced in a game before, um, yeah. even video games, because video games are are generally, you know, and they're they're kind of they've evolved over time. But back then, you know, it was a lot of um, it's it's like fighting each other, you know, or racing yeah. each other, or and always, you know, there there was there was a lot of you know turn based games, but nothing like really economical, right? And and nothing like even though Carcassonne is like technically a competitive game, it was very constructive, you know. And it was like it brought all these feelings that I'd never felt before playing a game. Yeah. Um. And I kind of stared at the board and like what we've built together, and I just and I was immediately like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to make these things. Um, That's and awesome. Became, very very obsessed with uh with board games in a relatively relatively quickly uh and then i started you know designing a a soccer game um that i worked on for like five years probably oh wow um, and and while that game was you know kind of a failure in the well it was a failure in the end like it, i went through probably like you know 30 iterations of a of a prototype it really actually was what taught me kind of how board games work and yeah. and how to design board games um and it also led me to a group that i uh th that i was a co-founder in called the game artisans of canada mm. um which was uh you know start born out of uh a meeting of of a lot of game designers from western canada in 2008 uh everybody met in calgary at the century box and uh we you know it was basically it was like a night of everybody playing each other's prototypes and it was it was just a group of people and then the next day it was such a revolutionary experience because back then it was very lonely to design a game um yeah you can get your family kind of convince a couple friends to play test your prototype but it was generally a very lonely act uh, an activity so the next day immediately after we said we have to like keep this going so we uh you know we 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 created together we decided to make a group called the game artisans of canada and we set, i set up a online forum um and it was a very tightly knit private community where people could you know designers could share you know their designs and feel safe it was like very much a circle of trust there was only like eight or ten members yeah um and they could give feedback on each other's des designs and then we started creating local chapters where we would play test once a week and this was actually very uh, new, at least in this part of the world. Uh, this was an unheard of concept. So, and it what really, year was this? Is this around like 2000 or a little bit later? No, it was around like it was that the I think Game Artisans was uh, incepted in 2008. Okay. Um, but this was before, and then so like shortly thereafter, like the, the board game design forum, uh, BGDF, uh, was was created. Um, which was kind of like Game Artisans of Canada, but it was public. Um, mm. 
and then there were then there's some IRC channels started sprouting up. Um, but that was kind of for us, anyways. For all of us, we'd never we'd never experienced anything outside of it. And I'm not saying we invented that or anything. I'm just yeah. saying that that for us, it was it was very much kind of like really started to develop the the board game design industry or you know in Canada um and so I you know I was very I'm, I'm very thankful that I got to participate and I still know and I'm friends with uh you know a lot of people from from that group um so yeah it's, it's since been kind of like you know dissolved just because of it's not really an, it's not really necessary thing in today's world with yeah. endless Facebook groups and support and blogs and you know all their board game design and t- t- tabletop simulator and board game designers just have endless endless um, resources Tools. now. Yeah. Um, but back then it was quite it was quite difficult and quite lonely. Yeah, it's ironic when you're talking about Carcassonne. That was one of the first ones I had played as kind of in the new kind of indie industry mm-hmm. of games. That and of course Catan, like everyone else, and. Um, but the, the first time I ever played that was actually on an Xbox. <laughs> like I own the game yeah, and I've, good... I've never played it at a table. I've only played it the digital version because I guess the tiles and everything go up. I mean, it happens very quickly, right? Scoring and everything, but, yeah. uh, but it got me hooked. Right. When I, you know, you see that game and you're like, wow, this is, this is different than kind of the classics that we grew up with. Right. This is a whole totally. other world. And the more of those different types of games you play Catan and, and, you know, they just kind of, all add together to this whole new kind of genre. And um, that's, I think for a lot of people when the the bug kind of bites them, right. And they say, Oh, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I can uh, get involved in this industry in some way. Where did Roxley as a name come from? Like, I guess you got one of the coolest logos I've ever seen. Right? Like <laughs> the steampunk chicken is just awesome. But where did, was the genesis of all that? Uh, Roxley is, I would consider it an abstract name. Um, so it's, it's really just a set of syllables that sound good together. Mm-hmm. Um, I like like rocks, like kind of, you know, that rocks or like it, you know, it, it's kind of a syllable that that mm-hmm. sounds it sounds it rolls off the tongue. Well, um, it's also, you know, I also found a six character domain name, you know, so as, as as simple as it sounds, it was actually it took me years to actually come up with the name. Um, I, I, you know, I, for, for years and years, I've done graphic design and, uh, branding, mm-hmm. um, f- you know, that since I was 16 years old, I was doing websites for my, my mom and her, uh, her friends and stuff. And, you know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of company logos. So I'm, I was very, very obsessed with, and, and I'm a graphic designer. So I was very obsessed with graphic design and, and branding for a very, very long time. So like, obviously Roxley, um, you know, was it was a company name that that took me a long time to to come up with because that was kind of what I wanted the my my permanent name to to kind of be, um, and really it's just abstract and really it kind of uh, I wanted to just kind of create uh, metaphors in, in terms of uh, what the logo represents like there's a he you know this this chicken he's got or rooster he's got this you know these goggles on goggles kind of <laughs> represent innovation and and you know and you know we call it a game laboratory because we i'm i'm really most interested in games that do something different uh mm. being a person that's kind of played every sort of video game and board game in a, you know in existence like i have a very broad i guess uh scope of experience with with games in general mm-hmm. so when i'm looking at you know what kind of games like really 
interest me, I really gravitate to ones that have something new, something that I that I can learn from, something, some kind of system that's that I've never played before. So I wanted to really show that that's kind of what we're seeking in the company, right? So you have this chicken, he's looking off into the distance. Maybe they're launching a rocket over there or something, yeah. you know, like where he's looking. He's he's watching maybe his invention kind of come to life. Um, and and a rooster is just really confident, and I really wanted to. The, the logo to exude, you know, confidence and, you know, that we put a lot of work into whatever we're doing. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of just a lot of metaphor in, in terms of the visuals and obviously roosters are very beautiful. So, yeah. And then, so in transitioning from that and in, in the design into then finally doing um, was brass, the, the first kind of Epic hit for you guys or well, Santorini, I would say, you know, has yeah. I think Santorini has sold more copies than Brass. Um, Got it. And it's Santorini, a fun game. Yeah, Santorini yeah, was the Santorini. was the first one. Um, or sorry, it wasn't the first game we did, but the first game we did was uh, called Super Motherload. Yeah. But Santorini, Santorini was the first probably hit game that we had. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was uh, that was before Brass. Yeah, and then. So, and then Brass, was, now was Santorini one that you had designed as well or had just developed? Uh, we had, so uh, a friend of mine, Gord Hamilton from Calgary, yeah. um, he, he, he designed that game in the 80s. Um, and yeah. he, basically, he, he, you know, we, I actually came to him and he had his, he had the game stuck in kind of contract hell with this, with this company that had endless uh, ability to extend the contract and never oh produce boy. the game. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of that way for years. Um, but there was a clause in the contract where it auto renews unless, you know, it, you know, it auto renews if they give him, you know, uh, they, they inform him that it's going to auto renew and they, you know, that one year, it was like getting close to the renewal time. They had not given them the the notification and we let it get to the date. And then I sent them an email saying, Hey, we're going to publish this game. So you, you know, you don't have rights to it anymore. Was there any resistance or no, no. I mean, which is fair. They, they've, they had rights to it for years and years and years, but when, but at that time the game was just, you know, like not just, it was a bunch of like white blocks and it was actually very beautiful. Uh, You know, it was very abstract. Right. Yeah. And so I had this crazy idea that we would kind of take this abstract game because the the attitude back then was, you know, abstract games don't sell, you know, and all, all the salespeople we work with, you know, Hey, we're going to make this game. Well, abstract games don't sell, right? So, uh, you know, I, I was like, well, let's make it non-abstract, right? Because what is abstract? That, like it, Santorini is actually pretty thematic yeah. for, you know, it's so it's we we actually call it a pure strategy game. Um, there's no obs- obfuscated information from the players. And, you know, it's very deterministic in how it plays. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not really abstract. It's actually quite them- thematic um, in how how the board develops. Even in the abstract version of it, there's domes and blocks and stuff, and it kind of looks the same, but it with more, you know, geometrically perfect shapes, I guess. And then so I said, why don't we, you know, make these kind of like you know plastic bits that are like molded? And I yeah. wanted, you know, I had a little diagram of the the island that I created. And then the the craziest thing was like we're gonna take like we're gonna make the god characters because it's a Greek god theme, yeah. And we're gonna take these god characters and we're gonna 
we're going to apply like sort of a Japanese chibi sort of style to them. Mm. And Mr. Cuttington, the artist that, that we were working with uh, on it, they actually couldn't really do Japanese style art. So what it is, so it actually, they, so they have like the big heads and they're really cute, but then they don't look, they didn't look Japanese. They kind of look like Disney characters. Yeah. So then it kind of, it kind of like out of like accidentally kind of made its kind of turned into its own style, which uh, we, we, people were calling Chisney. So it's like chibi <laughs> Disney uh, characters. So yeah. it actually worked out perfectly because we actually kind of got something new out of it. Um, and uh, you know, but when I first showed the concept of these ca- characters to people, they were like, like, it, like, it's awesome. It's really weird that you're yeah. like making this game about Greek gods and you're making these like babyish, like, you know, adolescent sort of looking characters with giant heads and it's very cartoony and it's like it, it just hadn't really been done before where first of all you're applying really a theme of a strong theme onto an abstract game but also in such a weird kind of way um but it ended up really working and and you know it without yeah it, it ended up really working and a lot of that was like the table presence of like what mr cuttington did with bringing the the island kind of you know that that island design yeah. and and i wanted it to taper and so they you know we worked we worked very well together on that game um and it it ended up being you know you know arguably our strongest in terms of like mass appeal um, yeah. that we've created to date well know. good luck finding a game uh, cafe that doesn't have that game <laughs> yeah, it's true it's it a perfect game cafe game. every game cafe i've gone to i see santorini there and usually somebody playing it amazing table presence but it's very easy to explain how to play the, like you can pick the game up totally. very, very quick right and i think yeah. that's why it does so well in in that environment and it, it's it is abstract but it's very thematic at the same time so i think that's mm. that's pretty awesome your new title um Skyrise. I mean, talk about table presence. I mean, as soon as I saw yeah. this campaign, I was like, holy crap. Like, this is how you do table presence, right? Like, everything is like three-dimensional molds. Yeah. The board, it's modular. It, 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 the board size is smaller if you have less players. The buildings themselves are each custom sculpted. Like, it is like the decision to do that um was that there from the beginning or is it something that just kind of snowballed until you got to that final yeah point? i mean honestly it's kind of like the scope kind of kind of kept creeping because i always want to like for me growing up you know i i remember games like survive and stuff that were yeah, on yeah. the table and yeah, they had yeah. such amazing beautiful table presence or like fireball island like i remember just seeing that at my friend's house and just i i just was obsessed with the aesthetics of, of things like that. So I'm really attracted to 3d, um, 3d table presence, uh, in games. Um, and so I, you know, it's kind of persisted throughout, you know, what we do and not all of our games have that, but I'm, I'm actually really attracted to that concept. Um, so I wanted to kind of, you know, I city in the sky and, uh, you know, we, we, we decided on the city in the sky, sort of theme because it really it really fit with the the mechanisms we thought um and we wanted to really communicate that feeling of of something being in the sky and and we did that by you know creating these kind of islands that that kind of floated over a skyboard um 
So, you know, it, it's like, it, it, there is obviously snowballing and that's kind of like my superpower and my, and my downfall as a, as a publisher is uh, because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on publishers to release more stuff, right. All the yeah. time, release more stuff. And we put such an insane amount of work. Like, so when I, when you say, okay, we're going to have all these 3d islands, it just opens up a whole can of like complexity that you don't even realize or understand yet. Um, and so, so at, at multiple points, I was ready to like can it and be like, okay, let's just, you know, let's just uh, maybe release it at Essen and and just make it, you know, flat boards, which we're, we're still doing like a retail version. And, yeah. and there's going to be quite a bit of difference between the two. Uh, the other one's made of wood and boards. Um, but I, I was, I still really wanted to, to make a, a fully 3D version for the people that really want to play something like that, that, that has a sort of an enhanced sort of table presence and, and theme. And that's not, it's not for everyone, nor should it be. It's, it's a, it's a different kind of experience. And I think it's, it's, you know, it's great to, to, to make something like that for the people that want that sort of experience. So that's what we, we kept traveling down that road and, you know, it was, it's, it took a lot, a lot of time. And, uh, our, the, the person that we most recently hired, uh, James Vanekirk, um, who designed Valor and Villainy with, with Skybound. Um, and he's just very talented at, at a lot of things, but, you know, 3D is one of the things that he's most talented at it. And he, he kind of entered the equation and kind of like, so, cause we had multiple iterations of what these, you know, these skyboard, the sort of steampunky mechanical stuff yeah. around the edges look like. Um, and then he came in and he finally kind of got something going that, that really impressed me and made me feel like, okay, this is, this is worth, this is worth it. This, this does need to exist kind of thing. Uh, and same with the building sculpts, right? So he, he's just put so much work and, and time into it and, and research. Like we, you know, we chose four different, um, genres of art and design um, that the that the artists kind of represent in the game or the yep. vis visionaries and they're they're kind of like you know uh, advocates or ambassadors for for a specific genre of art that's either related to what they actually created or that's from their homeland um, and so he we we took all sorts of um, reference points from many 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 different buildings the actual buildings and sculptures of that of those styles uh in real life and he used those to kind of create our own set of original um pieces um yeah so it's like tons tons and tons of work too, like too much work probably lots of molds. <laughs> yeah lots of molds yeah holy smokes uh it's one of those things where you look at and you're like you know the basic version looks good yeah but it's tough not to want to grab yeah. the deluxe right like the, the collector's edition like it's just so much like i have i i can't think of another game has got this much intricate detail yeah even around like the sides of the board and in between yeah. the board pieces like it it's crazy yeah uh, how would you best describe this game so for someone who's actually listening you can't see the visuals i just flashed up on the screen how would you describe the basic essence of how to play this game well, it's a it's a round based auction game where each person is either bidding their their bidding or like increasing the bid or sorry outbidding the previous person that bid or everybody passes and then whoever's currently got the highest bid building in the current auction 
uh, gets to build their structure. And you, each player has 13 structures that they're going to build. Um, 12 of them are, are actual buildings. And then they have one wonder piece. Um, each of those buildings have a number on them. So they represent a build and they also represent something that you built that when, when is built, you, you actually are going to score points for, mm. uh, when you're doing the auction, you start either in the middle or you start adjacent to any other building that's already built. Um, and then every other, every time you want to, every time somebody outbids you, or you want to outbid somebody else, uh, the, the bid, that bid needs to be placed adjacent to any bid that's currently that they're sorry to that has to outbid the, the, the highest current bid. Um, and so, you know, the, the game's played over two halves. Um, so you actually there, what's so w- crazy about the game is that there's essentially you're only building 13 buildings, right? Yeah. So really that like you could say, well, there's only, there's, there's actually only 13 actions in the whole game, but there's so much nuance in, in, um, in like forcing people to outbid you. Uh, because it's like we're not bidding for the same object um, for a bidding round. It's it's uh, because this you know you're bidding on whatever you place your your current bid on. Yeah. Um, you're bidding for that space, and that space comes with a resource or a, you know a, a disc that it, that serves a specific function. So I so adjacent to that bid that's placed there's four other potential bids that somebody can outbid you for. Right. Um, yeah. So th- it's like an auction game. That's that's each auction round evolves. Right. So it constantly keeps you engaged. Be, uh, like, unless you're, you know, unless you pass for this bidding round, you're constantly engaged because you might want to move a bid over to somewhere else on the board um, to get something that you want, or you can identify something that, that one of your opponents wants. So you, so you place next to it a high building because you to, to force them to build one of their higher buildings. And yeah. there, there's a, there's a, actually a ton of nuance into how the, uh, the bidding structure works. And then and how then the patrons come in, like how to, cause there's objective cards and then there's patron cards, I guess. Too, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, the objective card there's, you know, there's a, there's objective cards and they're called panoramas. Um, and so with the, the panorama cards, they'll say like, build, you know, three adjacent, uh, for each Island that you have three adjacent, uh, buildings, uh, you score three, I think it's three points. Um, and so if you, if you fulfill that objective, any, any number of times, uh, you score that many points, both at the half. So if you do it before the first half is over, then you get points, you know, for, for those. And then at the end of the game as well. So you can actually score double, um, because those d- buildings persist. And then uh, there's patrons as well. So the patrons is probably the, it was the, actually the last kind of mechanic that we, we kind of added into the game. And once, once we added that in, I was like, this game's done. Um, the game, <laughs> t- you know, took multiple, multiple years of, of development. Um, t- you know, it, it was always like, so, so, so close. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like you're, you know, you've developed games, so you understand and understand that, but sometimes you got to put a game away, right. And, and oh, bring yeah. it off the shelf. So the, the patrons is probably the, the mechanic that I'm actually most happy with. Uh, I think it was Paul's idea. So Paul, you know, helped is a developer with us and he, you know, he came up with the idea, uh, I believe to, to have these like hit, you know, these there's, these, so there's these discs that have letters on them and you pick up that you, when you, uh, when you win an auction on a, on a space that has a disc, you collect the disc the disc has a letter on it. So it says B, you pick up the B patron token and you look on the bottom of it. And that's how much every B is worth 
at the end of mm. the game, including the one that you just collected. So they range, you know, it's three, four, five, and eight are the values. Uh, so you might have picked up the three, um, you know, and oh, that's a crappy, that's the crappy one. But you might say, yes, you know, like, so there, there's actually some, a little bit of, you know, bluffing and, you know, and, and quite a bit of deduction. And, and so, you know, if you do pick up the eight first, right? So I got a B that's an eight. I'm, you know, I want the other Bs on the board, but I can't be too obvious, right? And just start bidding on the Bs because you're just immediately giving away how valuable they are, right? Yeah. So you have to kind of bide your time. You have to watch what other people are bidding and and kind of get their built. So often you'll be like, I'm just going to pass because I want this guy to, or this person to, to bid their high building. And I want to get that out of the way so I can get this, this other thing that I want. And often those are patrons. And then, yeah. So then there's uh, the wonder buildings, which are, uh, you know, something that were added, you know, kind of three quarters of the way through development, which are awesome. They're special buildings and they automatically win an auction. You get one of them in a two player, mm. you get two, which just makes two player because they're so satisfying. Um, they're, they're just so satisfying to use and, and to, and they kind of create uh, a sort of structure of, of almost like how you want to play the second half of the game. Um, so you get three of those, you get, you get three cards that is going to determine what your, your wonder, your wonder structure does. Um, and you get to, you know, you pick which one you think you can max out the most points for. Uh, but the, the higher the value that there's like an initiative value on each wonder card. Um, so the higher the initiative value, the, the lower, uh, or sorry, it, the lower the initiative value of a card you, you take, uh, the sooner you're going to get to go in turn order, um, or sorry, the, the more likely you are to go for to start an auction in the first second half. So, and yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the gist of the game. At the end of the game, you score points for there's neighborhood discs that you collect that are colored. So as you're collecting those and placing them in in the corresponding row. So if I collect a yellow like neighborhood disc and I place it in the yellow row, it's like it's increasing the the value of every structure yeah, that I've like constructed in a yellow in a yellow neighborhood at the end of the game. So if I'm at six, which is kind of like the primo uh, column to be in. So if I've collected three yellows every building that I've built in yellow will score six points at the end of the game. If you, and you can, you can actually sometimes push, push other players into collecting more than they need one more than they need, which, you know, then they, then, then it actually reduces um, the value of all their buildings in those areas to four. So you, there's actually this sweet spot that you want to hit, but there's also a kind of a, a shoot the moon mechanism, which we've seen, you know, you know, happen several times in, in play testing and people have won with it. Um, yep. It's hard and it's a big risk, but if you, if you keep collecting the, the discs of a single color, you can actually shoot the moon and collect eight points uh, for every one over four that you collect. So there's a, there's a, there's a ton of nuance uh, to the game and uh, you know, it really rewards uh, repetitive play, but it's also a game that's quite simple to, to pick up. Um, yeah. and understand. Um, and, you know, after, you know, I feel like it feels like hundreds of, of play tests. Um, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still very excited and interested to play every time, every time I play it. So. Well, certainly uh, there's a lot of people that are interested in this game. You guys have hit $431,000 on a goal of 50,000 so far. Still, you got a week to go. There's always the back end hockey stick. So we know that that number is going to grow uh, significantly. Um, 
the only thing that surprised me about that, quite frankly, is that your initial goal was only 50,000. Like this looks like it'd be a very costly game to, to make, mm-hmm. um, you know, what was kind of the thoughts behind that? Well, we, you know, we, we were willing to, we're, we're always willing to, it's, it's definitely not about look at how overfunded we are. You know, we're willing to put in our own, you know, like Roxley's yeah, money. We yeah. don't expect every single campaign we do to, to not have any skin in the game from Roxley. Mm. And I think backers, like, I think as a backer, you kind of want that, you know, you want, yeah. you, you want the, the publisher to have skin in the game for all of these projects. And, and like, make no mistake, a, a company like ours definitely needs Kickstarter to, to survive. Like we run right. a very thin shop. We don't, you know, very, like we only have like four people, on staff, we have, you know, quite a few collaborators that we work with, sure. but like our, our actual employees, uh, there's only four of us. Right. Um, um, yeah, but we also work with contractors, but to run like such a like tight ship and a small, small team of, because my, my, my objective as a creator is really to work with the, the most passionate people in the industry. That's, I want to be surrounded by passionate people who love what they're doing and they, they want to do a good job and they want to make new things. Um, passionately you know yeah and so to, so to do that you know um we need think we need tools like like kickstarter because we don't have we don't have big de- you know sales departments and stuff like that um and kickstarter really allows us to connect to our our customer base um directly you know like people you know it's kind of like i would say the modern version of going to a sh- trade show honestly you're yeah. you're it's a show that's a month long and it's like, here's our new game. We're launching it at our, at our show called yeah. Kickstarter. And we're interacting directly with our fans. We're talking to them. We're giving them a discount. We're giving them freebies. All of these things already existed at a show. You know, like that was, you know, the, the, the crowdfunding, um, you know, uh, with a show, you actually have to, you actually have to print the whole run before you go to yeah. the show. <laughs> um, so this, this allows us to kind of, um, you know, obviously though there's the whole marketing aspect you know does this product deserve to exist right when you when you just print a game and you go to a show maybe that product shouldn't have existed because maybe it was a failure at the show right like yeah and and in this in this uh sort of industry of like always always more games more 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 games yeah um i think it's actually a good thing and it's it's a you know it's a good thing that creators are only like on kickstarter are making things that they have evidence that people want to buy rather than making a bunch of copies of a thing that people don't actually want right and you see in the liquidation bin somewhere or exactly it's almost like a uh, like um, if you go back 30 40 years like test marketing right it's exactly what the larger companies would have done. They would have done a small market with, you know, with mm-hmm. a small run to find out, you know, is the audience there? Do we need to retool and readjust before they do their, their main runs, but allows smaller publishers who are quite frankly, bringing all the creativity and innovation into the industry uh, to survive. Right. And yep. I, I think that's a good thing uh, for the industry, quite frankly. Um, totally. Like a, a game like Santorini, like the, the, the cost of the molds for a game like Santorini and how, different and innovative like the the, at least the production was we could not have existed in the way that it existed without kickstarter it's impossible it's impossible no no company would have would have looked at a prototype of that and been like yeah let's do this right it's just too weird and strange 
basically. I, I think this game is a perfect example of that as well. The deluxe version, not a chance that would be launched. No, not mass even. market without impossible. <laughs> some kind of pre-order system, like yeah, not a chance, right? So, so what comes after this? So, I mean, you guys obviously uh, have you know a number of franchises you've built. Um, is like, what's the next big title from Roxley? Is it an extension of one of your other franchises? Is it something new? Uh, we're, we're, I mean, when I've said this before publicly, but we're working on an, on, on another brass game. Um, so obviously yeah. we want to, to continue the brass line. Uh, we have a, a couple other, I don't like announcing things anymore too early, right? <laughs> because, uh, but we, we have several other, you know, we have a project we're working on with Mr. Cuttington yeah. uh, that's going to be, that's quite epic in scope, um, but it's, and it's quite something, it's something quite different that we've never done and we've never really seen kind of implemented, especially in the way we're implementing it before. Uh, and, you know, there's always more, you know, we have a couple, we have a puzzle game that's not a puzzle game, but like a, yeah, kind of like I guess you could call it a puzzle game, um, a two-player game that's I guess kind of abstract. That you know is kind of the, in the Santorini vein of products. Nice. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like all, like Dice Throne is just a continuing, you know, um, a continuing franchise that all you know it's kind of a machine that that always needs to be fed somehow like it's it's a game th that revolves around product releases so yeah uh there will you know there will always be something coming down the pipe for dice throne um yeah so i mean kind of extending brass and then you know working on a couple a couple new things as well is kind of where we're going a couple other surprises yeah. well for again congrats on this game i mean you guys are doing amazing on this title it looks um, i'm gonna back it myself i mean i i, I cannot thank you not pack this game it looks so awesome um but yeah i want to wish you all the best uh with this campaign for people that want to check this out i will put a link in the kickstarter notes uh you can do that or quite frankly just type in sky rise on kickstarter and you'll find it there's still seven days ago people want to check it out gavin thanks again for your time i want to wish you all the best this coming year right thanks james take care cheers this has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.